Hey guys, good morning. Thank you for joining us uh, today. There's a lot of different reasons that you may have joined us. We have people all over the world uh, that are watching. Uh, we want to let you know that we want to know you. Um, if we don't have a relationship with you in any way, uh, we want to hear about your story, what God's doing in your life. And a couple of ways that you can do that with us uh, is by going to our website at lifepointchurch.org um, where you can follow us on our social media accounts at our Facebook, um, Twitter, and Instagram. We have hope and, and pray that this sermon today uh, would help you in your relationship with Christ. Um, if you do not have a relationship with Christ, we want to help you uh, find one and, and know that uh, Jesus Christ is real. We want to help you in that. Part of having a relationship with Christ is being a part of a local congregation. Um, this today's sermon is not a substitute for biblical community. Um, it is just supplemental in your relationship. So we would hope that to see you um, at one of our gatherings on a Sunday morning at either 9 or 1030. Uh, so we really hope that we see you there soon. Uh, come see us and thanks again for, for joining us today. Uh, so uh, let's, uh, let's move into the season that is obviously um, here, right? You, uh, the lights are on, the trees are up, the creek is all in, uh, the music's playing um, already on the radios, uh, the advertisements, the, the, all of the Christmassy stuff. The Advent season, or the Christmas season is just absolutely upon us. Um, I love it. Uh, another way that we can tell that the season is here is because Black Friday has already come and gone. And uh, someone's nana got punched in the kidney over a lightsaber at Target. And um, if you didn't laugh at that, you might have been the one that punched nana. I'm just saying. Uh, so you all came around on that one. That was y'all. Uh, but uh, the season's here, right? It's, it's on us. And uh, what we do as Christians, we celebrate something that's called Advent. That's what Advent is. Maybe you're around and you're like, what's Advent? Ad Advent is a Latin word that means the, the coming or arrival of a notable person. Uh, hence, Christians, we are celebrating the coming arrival of the most notable person in human history, Jesus Christ. Uh, his incarnation, where uh, God, who stepped out off of his throne in heaven, and he came down, he cracked open the heavens, and he put on skin, flesh, and bones uh, in the form of man, so he could live the perfect life that we could never live on our own, uh, that he would go to the cross to pay the ransom for our sin debt and that we would taste salvation. Uh, we celebrate that, right? We get underneath that. But Advent is also uh, a, a time where we celebrate the second coming of Christ. Uh, not just the first, but the eager anticipation of the second coming of Christ when he's going to come and complete and conquer the world and the purpose that he had above all things. So we get underneath that. That's what we want to focus in on um, at a season of Christmas, the, the greatest event in human history, the incarnation of God himself. Um, I, I am Christmas guy all in. I, uh, I love uh, the trees, the lights, I'm the singing guy. I'm the guy in the back of the auditorium uh, singing louder than you. That's me. I, uh, I'm the dad in the car, all right, tuning in to all the Christmas carols. Um, I'm that guy. Uh, some say voice of an angel. Uh, totally just made that up. That's really not true. Uh, 
I'm the guy in the office. I've already been listening to Christmas hymns and, and music and carol. I'm, I'm that guy. I think the other day I was sitting in there and uh, Breath of Heaven by Amy Grant was on my Spotify playlist. And I think I teared up. I mean, I, I think I teared up and the guys walk in the office. They're like, hey, man, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, man, I got some in my eye, bro. Shut the door. Get out of here. Uh, I love this time of year. I, it, just, it just gets me. That's my kids, my family. Absolutely love it. I love uh, the lights. I love the fact that some of y'all go like Clark Griswold at your houses and you put up uh, these amazing lights so I don't have to risk my life on a ladder and do that at my own house. Uh, but I, I, I'm all about those things. I, I absolutely just love this time of year, as many of you do. Some of you have young children. There's some young children here. And you guys uh, are, are there. There's an eager, crazy anticipation about Christmas that's coming. It's just this, uh, it's infectious. And there's this eagerness. And it's like, when, how many days of Christmas, Mom? Dad, how many days? How, many, how, how much longer to Christmas? There's just over and over and over again. Uh, and there's this idea that it actually can become kind of torturous to a young child because you put the tree up and there's presents under the tree and the stockings are hung up there and it's like look at all this you can't touch it for 30 days stay away from it uh, but it's going to come and it's just like this torturous thing for a young uh, child I remember one year uh, Rylan my oldest um, who's now 14 but he was two at the time and we got him this uh, robots DVD this movie uh, called robots and uh, and we got this thing and he was so pumped he stared at it for days uh, we wrapped it put it under the tree and he just locked in on it. he's just like zoned in on this thing uh, well I think he opened that thing three times before Christmas Day uh, before me and Callie finally uh, grabbed a roll of duct tape and we wrapped that joker up so tight and he was defenseless I mean, he, he hadn't figured out the full use of his thumbs yet. So he just was tortured by not being able to open this duct tape gift. It was a brilliant way to pay back all the sleepless nights. Uh, we enjoyed that. But there's this idea that as I grow older and I age and my kids age and you've experienced a lot of Christmases, the more you kind of get into that and you kind of grow, what you see is that there's just this, uh, the season just comes and it goes and it comes and it goes. And there's this idea that has left us with, uh, man, not, not even remembering uh, what presents we gave or presents we received from the previous years. Uh, unless you're like your man went to Jared or something, right? Or you got a, a Lincoln from Matthew McConaughey or something like that. You would remember those things. Uh, but there's this idea that the, the toys get old quick. Right, right? Your kids in the room, you're going to play with that thing, and in two weeks it's old. You want something else. What's next? Right? Is that it? Oh, it's over. And there's this idea of the Christmas blues kind of setting in, uh, this hangover effect, and uh, it just kind of leaves us with saying, what is next? I believe that we experience those things uh, because we get locked in and zoomed in on the shadows of Christmas. Uh, shadows are good things, right? There's nothing wrong with all of those things aforementioned, but they're not the substance casting the shadow. Uh, the substance is infinitely greater. Uh, it is a gift that goes well beyond a season to a season. It never leaves us with this idea of, is that it? Or uh, what's next? Or this Christmas blues or hangover. It never leaves us with that. The substance of Christmas, obviously, is Christ. Uh, and that is, uh, as we do every single year in, in Advent, as we all get ready to step out into a culture where we are being pummeled by distractions. 
I'm, I'm right there with you. I hear them. I see them. You will hear a thousand ads a day that are competing for your time and your money and your attention that try to say, hey, look at the shadows, look at the shadows, look at the shadows, and distract you from focusing on the substance. So here's what we want to do, um, as we do really every single Advent year, is that you individuals, uh, you as parents, uh, you as family members, that we get locked in and we get zoomed in on the substance in such a way that, that we are not shaken by a season. Uh, that we would be parents that teach our kids about the ultimate purpose of why we celebrate Christmas. Right? That we would, despite every tradition that we grew up in, whether you grew up in a home that loved God or a, a, or a home that did not know God, whatever your Christmas tradition would be or how you were raised, I pray that we would put those things aside and that we would come in and we would begin to teach the next generation, including ourselves, about what it means to treasure the season in Christ and the amazing gift that he was, right? So that's what we want to do as a church. I'm going to tell you in just a moment how we're going to do that specifically uh, this year. But let me pray for us before we get into some uh, text this morning. Father, we, um, we acknowledge that there is an incredible, uh, an angst, a buzz, a, a, a stirring up during this season that is a, is a great and a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But Father, I do pray that us as individuals, us as a church, us as parents, us as families, that we uh, feel the weight, that we wear uh, the purpose of Christmas, that we get underneath all of the shadows and we lock and cling to the substance. Father, we would enjoy all of those other things, but above all things that we would treasure the gift that Christ was. But I pray that we do that. Help us to put uh, in us an eager anticipation, a great expectancy for your son and his second coming. Father, we long to, to be like the people of old. And we are going to uh, pray these things to you this morning, Father. And pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So specifically, uh, what we are going to do is we're going to walk through this Advent season by taking some of the traditional Christmas hymns, uh, traditional Christmas uh, carols that we've all sung uh, each year, like in and out. But I think if you're like me, uh, we kind of get into this, this, this period where we just sing the songs repetitiously, mindlessly, because we know the words, without actually bearing the weight of the scriptural truth that is actually in them. Right? There's, it's so easy to just sing these and come in a season, out of season, without really wearing what these things are. Now, we're going to do that. We're going to take these hymns to which these hymns have no uh, authority on their own, right? The hymn is not scripture. Uh, there's nothing in it that stands with the authority of the word of God. But these hymns that we're going to study, they are based upon scriptural truths. So aside with the scripture, they have great weight. They have great authority, but just not the same as the scriptures. We're going to walk through some hymns. I'm not talking about uh, man, Santa Claus is coming to town or, uh, sir, I want to buy these shoes for my mama, please. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about Christmas hymns, right? And that we would begin to hear these hymns in a new a profound way this year, starting today, 
uh, and they would be impactful for the rest of um, our life. So that's what we're going to do. I want to look at today specifically... O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, uh, a very traditional song. You've heard this before. That's our bottom line today. And we're going to take this hymn that was ri- written in the year 700 A.D. It was written in a Latin uh, form uh, by an unknown um, author. But here's what they did. They took, uh, it had seven verses in this hymn. And we'll read through those in just a moment. But the seven verses were representations of the seven Old Testament prophe- prophecies of a coming Messiah. Um, in addition, uh, from, from the year 700 A.D. all the way up to 1800, they celebrated by, by reading one of these verses uh, once a day for the seven days prior to Christmas Day as celebration. Until uh, the year 1851, where a guy named John Mason Neal translated it into English, put it to song, um, and then it began to get distributed to every nation that worshipped um, the name of Jesus and becomes this hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So that was the setting for that. Let me read this uh, for us uh, this morning. And, and it just uh, you know, like I said, this is a hymnal that we know. Uh, by the way, this is a hymnal, y'all. Uh, let me read this. Let me read this, and let's just feel the weight of these words. Um, o Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. That mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. O come, our wisdom from on high, who ordered all things mightily. To us the path of knowledge show and teach us in her ways to go. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. O come, O come, our Lord of might, who to your tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times gave holy law in cloud and majesty and awe. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to you, O Israel. O come, O rod of Jesse's stem, from every foe deliver them that trust your mighty power to save. Bring them in victory through the grave. Rejoice, Rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to you, O Israel. O come, O key of David, come, and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high, and close the path to misery. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to you, O Israel. O come, our day spring from on high, and cheer us by your drawing nigh. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. O come, desire of nations bind and won the hearts of all mankind. O bid our sad division cease and be yourself our king of peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. Now that hymn starts out uh, with the words, O come, O come, Emmanuel. There's the idea that there's this longing plea for Emmanuel to come. It's not just, O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's, it's O come, O come, Emmanuel. The people of God were longing for the coming of their Messiah. Uh, the word Emmanuel is so important. It's, Jesus had many names that he was 
known by. None bears more weight or more significance than the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus is and was God, right? So it has great weight in the name Emmanuel. Now, sometimes you're going to see uh, the word Emmanuel uh, spelled with an I and sometimes with an E. Uh, the reason behind that is in the Old Testament Hebrew, um, it's written in, in the letter I, um, and the New Testament is the letter E. It was written in Greek. So there's great weight um, and understanding, but it means the same thing, God with us. This him, uh, primarily the inspiration was Isaiah 7, 14. Let's read that together. Prophet Isaiah says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 700 years before the star appeared in Bethlehem. 700 years before the nativity scene, 700 years before the shepherds were in the fields by night. Shepherds in the field by night, scared by the angels who awakened them with the good news. 700 years before the war cry in Bethlehem when the heaven's gates of sky was cracked open and Jesus Christ comes in the form of man. 700 years before it happened. Isaiah prophesied with exact 100% accuracy that it would come this way through the birth of a child, birthed to a virgin woman. What is the significance? We talk about that often at Christmas time. This was not the first prophecy that the, that the Savior of the world that would become through the, uh, a virgin birth, Genesis 3:15. Back when God told uh, Satan that the seed of a woman would crush the enemy's head. That was the very first gospel in the Bible. G Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelion, predicted, stated that the Savior of the world would come to the lineage of the seed of a woman. All other births in Scripture are, are stated from the seed of a man. But not this one. This one would come to the seed of a woman. Who had no earthly father. Why no earthly father? You might be thinking. Why, why, did it why couldn't it? Every single human born by the natural means of procreation through man and woman. Right? Like me and you were born into. Every single human was born infected with sin. And a human born into the natural means of procreation into the world just like you and me. Cannot atone for the sins of men. We are infected. We are uh, hostile to God. We don't have perfection, so it can't be us. But still, we needed a creaturely mediator to do that. Because only a human can atone for the sins of other humans. Now we have a problem. Where is it going to come from? We needed a supernatural in intervention. A divine intervention. When you have Virgin Mary and the Holy Spirit comes upon her and he overshadows her. And he becomes the father of the child in a miraculous way. Born out of the lineage, not of Adam, but out of God. Union of Christ, humanity, and the union of his divinity 
Theologically, this is called hypostatic union. The union of Christ is humanity and Christ divinity. It is the cornerstone of Christian faith. And it was the promise that they had expected for many, many years. Why does this song, why do the people of God cry out, O come, O come, Emmanuel? Why were they pleading? Why were they longing for this Savior? I think it's important, um, and this is one of the many times that we, we uh, don't really feel the weight of Advent season, why we kind of blow past it, is we are born in a time and a place by God's grace uh, where we don't experience what our spiritual ancestors were walking through during this time. Right? By the grace of God, we don't know. So we, we can't feel the sorrow, the pain, the longing that they felt why they longed for a Savior. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to attempt to frame up uh, some Old Testament history to help us insert ourselves in the story, to, to feel what they felt, to long like they longed. Um, and I'm going to really summarize the Old Testament uh, for just a moment uh, with some paraphrasing. Let me, let me make sure I say that. Uh, you, you know how the world was uh, created. It was in perfect Rhythm, perfect sync. God created everything and it just worked. It just clicked. Uh, there were no uh, elections, so there were no riots after elections. There were no, uh, it was a theocracy where God was the sovereign leader and everything just worked. There were no addictions, no fever, uh, no antidepressants, no Xanax. There was no pain, no suffering, no locks on doors, no crime, no abortion, uh, no brokenness in the world that you and I live in because everything was just as it should be. Perfect relation between God and man until Adam and Eve wanted to be on the throne Wanted to be like God, and they burnt the whole place down for everybody. I want to be like God. That fractured the universe as we knew God had created it. It began to spread through all men. Every man was tainted. Every woman was tainted with the infection of sin. It got so bad. It got so perverted from God's original creation that he actually said, I regret the day I made man. I regret it. And he decides to destroy the earth and everyone in it, except for Noah and his family and two of each animal. Brings them into the ark. They arrive. Uh, they, they sail uh, until the flood subsides. They land on modern-day Turkey today as we know it. They exit the ark, and they begin to repopulate the earth. But... Although they grew numerically, the wickedness and the depravity of man's heart begin to rule and reign once again. It's because they were infected by inherited sin. They begin to be uh, oppressed by every nation after nation. The wickedness grew and spread until God came to an old man named Abraham. At age 75, he was childless. 
comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, you're actually going to have a son. I know you're old, but you're going to have a son. And it is this son, the lineage that will come through this son, there's going to be a blessing of a great, great nation. Descendants as numerous as the stars. And out of these, this lineage, the Messiah, the promised one, back in Genesis 3.15, is going to come through this lineage. 25 years later, Abraham had Isaac. So Abraham's 100 years old, and he has Isaac. Can you imagine what it was like at uh, Isaac's kindergarten registration with Abraham's father walking in at 100? Isaac, it's great. You brought your great, great, great dan- uh, granddad with you today. Uh, no, no, that's my pops. All right, I know this is kind of weird. God's doing something really crazy here. Uh, we, we see that going on. It continues to go, Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has 13 sons, to which 12 would populate the earth with the 12 tribes of Israel. They begin to grow. They begin to be fruitful and multiply. It appeared that God's people were growing, but it was always short-lived because of their rebellion against God and their wicked, depraved hearts. So every nation after every nation oppressed them, persecuted them. They were always fighting. They had enemies all over the world. They began to spread. They fled to Egypt because of a flood in their own land. They get to Egypt and appearing to be thriving, Pharaoh begins to get threatened. His throne is threatened. They're going to start a revolt against me. There are too many people. So he executes uh, babies and infants to try to eradicate the Israelites. When that didn't work, he enslaved them and dehumanized them for 400 years. But even though they were under that great oppression, they multiplied. They grew great in numbers, like Mormons uh, on steroids. I mean, they just grew and grew and grew and grew. But even though they grew, their hardship grew because they were a disobedient people. They were a disobedient people because they had sin in their lives and they had wicked hearts. So it continued on and on. They were always facing opposition. God finally delivered them out of Egypt through the leadership of Moses Leads them out. You would think they would be an appreciative people, loving of God. And they get out and they start whining and wandering and complaining for 40 years. God says, you're going to do this because you're a disobedient, rebelling people. You have sin in your hearts. You're rebelling. For 40 years, you will wander and complain about me. He held them out of the promised land because they had sin in their life. Finally, they get to the promised land. Joshua takes him in. Abraham, I mean, I'm sorry, Moses doesn't do that. He's gone. He's dead. They take him in and they get into the promised land. You'd think this is the place they'd always long to be. They would be completely satisfied, completely content. And they get to the promised land and say, God, you're not good enough anymore for us. We're tired. We've grown tired of listening directly to you, God. We want a king like all the other nations We've grown tired of you, God. They forgot everything that he had ever done for them because of their wicked, depraved, sinful hearts. God gave them a king. His name was Saul. Saul was tall, handsome, strong, voted Israel's sexiest man alive. He's strong. 
Like everybody wants to be Saul. Saul rises in power and authority. It looks like the nation of God's people is growing. But here's the deal. Saul began to believe in his own hype. Began to get arrogant, prideful. God says, I'm taking you off of the throne. Saul, you're wicked. And I will replace you with a young, bear, lion, giant, killing king named David. Humble, man after God's own heart. He will be the one, right? No. He gets on the throne. What does David do? David has a sin problem. David killed too many people, too much blood on his hands, and he committed the grievous adultery sin with Bathsheba. So God said, you're not going to be the one. David dies. His son Solomon comes up through the rankings, builds the temple. The nation of Israel is thriving. It's doing very well. It's growing. But... It's always short-lived. Nation after nation wanted to plunder God's people, but it was always because of their rebellion. After Solomon died, the nation of Israel began to suffer greatly. They parted off in two different ways. The northern part was Israel. The southern part was Judah. Um, They'd be split up. There's dissension between them. And it was soon after that that the nation of Israel was conquered by the Assyrians and Judah was conquered by the Babylonians. Any remaining people of God were all exiled into the world. They were beggars and thieves and they wandered into exile. They had no home. Once again, God's people suffering. Suffering is not uncommon for God's people If you're walking through something right now, it's not uncommon. You're not the first person. Let me pause for a second, too, because as we've talked about some of the great patriarchs in the faith, uh, after Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and Saul and all these these guys, these kings, these great patriarchs that paved the way, have you ever noticed that in the study of your own Bible that you read these great stories and you get to the death of one of these great patriarchs and it just pauses for a second and it just goes right on, right? It's like... Oh man, I thought he did a lot of stuff. Can't there be like a moment of silence, this great remembrance, a couple of chapters reflecting on his life? And it doesn't happen that way. It just cruises on. History just keeps going on. Why is that? The reason is, is because God's wired scripture in such a way, there's only one hero in the faith. It's not Adam. Clearly, it's not Adam. It's not Moses. It's not Abraham. It's not David. It's no other but Jesus Christ. He's the only hero in the entire Bible. He is the superstar. He is the Savior. And it all points to Christ. The Old Testament, all these people in the faith are foreshadows of a greater Christ that would come. So that's why there's just this blip that he kind of keeps going. Because it's not about them. It's about Jesus Christ. It's all setting up this great scene for God himself to enter into the world. Let's keep going. After this, we have 400 years of silence where God spoke to no one. The people of God thought that they had been abandoned by God because of their rebellion once again. And a man named Alexander the Great comes on the scene and he begins to Hellenize the world. Uh, That just means to create a Greek culture. So basically what you had is Israel, God's people were conquered by the Greeks. 
They overtook them. They survived that. They came out of that. Uh, and then quickly after that, the Roman general Pompey uh, said, I like that sliver of land that you're in, Israel. I'm taking it over. And he opened up a can on them, and he took over them right after that. Right? So they're suffering, they're suffering and suffering. And that led to obvious, under the, the Roman Empire, the tyranny of Caesar. So here's where they are. Right before this text in Isaiah 9 that we're getting ready to read, that's where we are in human history. God's people living in Rome. And when you live in Rome, they do whatever they want to to you. If they want to rape and pillage your home, rape your wife, they're going to do that. They want to take your kids and snatch them up and steal them and use them as slaves, that's what they'll do. If they want to hang you upside down on a cross and burn you. That's what they will do. They are Rome. And that is what they were doing to the people of God. And it is in this place, this period of time, that this passage in Isaiah began to come alive for them. They longed to be delivered from all of this. I mean, you've heard the, the tyranny, the oppression, the persecution. From the moment Israel began its history, it's been like that. They longed. For someone to deliver them from this. Look at Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now if you're, if you're in the people of God and you read that text, this should frame up to you why they had expected... Um, a, a warrior king that would come with wielding a sword that was going to strike down every nation that had opposed them, right? Look, just look at it. The government's on his shoulder. He's going to be mighty God. He's going to bring peace to the world. He, he is going to conquer. He's a mighty warrior king. That's what they wanted. They wanted freedom from all of the oppression of all the people that have held them down for the entire history of the world. But that's not what Jesus came to do. First time, he says, I'm going to be a Messiah. I'm a spiritual king coming in in a humble manger, coming in on a donkey, not a warrior horse. I'm coming to bring peace, and my war that I'm bringing is against sin, not against all of your enemies. And that's what they, they missed the point on. They, they had, the, the prophets were screaming out to all the people of God saying, it's not about them, it's about God. And he's bringing a savior that's going to save people from their sins. And they missed it. They were blind to the whole thing. They were looking for a warrior king. This passage is not about a military messiah. It's about a savior of the world. See, the, the Israelites didn't have a, a, an enemy problem. They had a sin problem that needed to, to be cured. And Jesus Christ was the answer to all their ailments. Could a, a physical king in power who was mighty and destruct their, all of their enemies be good for them? Maybe in the temporary, right? But we know quickly that would have turned uh, the corner and they would have once again been back into their own sinful positions once again. They needed a savior not a military king. 700 years later, look at Matthew 1, 21 through 23, when it took place. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill the Lord had spoken by the prophet. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Into that madness of a world that they were living in, into that Rome oppression, all of the history of Israel, into that space, a divine invasion, Christ. But not to fight the enemies, to fight and kill and pay the ransom of sins for all people who would believe and trust in him. Now, America, let's fast forward 2,000 years. We're in America right now, right? And many would say there's madness in our world. There's madness all over the place. And what we really need is temporary relief from all of this madness. Now, our country has not gone through the conquering uh, like the nation of Israel has. There's not like other countries trying to conquer us. All. We're not going through those things, but we are being conquered. Our country is being conquered. It's being conquered by a greater enemy called sin. And it's all over the place. And you will experience it this Christmas. You'll experience it Today, you might be experiencing it today. It has infected our entire world. Some of you, this Christmas, you are dealing with a horrific disease, pain, suffering by either you, yourself, or someone else in your family is walking through those things because of sin. Some of your marriages right now are not experiencing the intimacy that God has created it to be because of sin in your marriage. There are some of you that have experienced uh, miscarriage, right? You thought the hope of a child and then you miscarried sometime in your life. It's because of sin. There are some that are walking through divorce this year. You have been divorced or you are going to get divorced. And you're walking through, how am I supposed to do Christmas this year like this? It's because of sin. It's because of sin. Some of you will plunder into the depths of debt this year trying to buy things to make people content all because of sin. Some of you will be waiting for that gift, that thing that's going to make you so happy and fulfill you so much that you won't want anything more. Once you have that, you're good. And you put all your hope in something that some human on the face of the earth is going to give you it's because of sin. Some of y'all haven't talked to some of your family members in years and years. And you will this Christmas. Or you may not. It's because of sin. Some of you lost loved ones. This year will be a, a year of maybe some pain and sorrow. Because you've lost a loved one in your family. It's because of sin. Everything, the root issue, the root evil, and the root fraction of everything that we experience is sin. This is not just the world that we live in, right? Never get numb to that. Don't ever be like, well, I guess this is what we live in. This is the way it is. We, we get sick, we die, we live, we have good times and bad times. No, it's all the result of a fractured relationship in the world because of sin. When you know what the problem is, now you know what the solution is. The answer is Jesus Christ. Some of you might say, well, I love Jesus, but I'm still broke. Uh, I am suffering to find a job. Uh, my kids are off the rails. Things are not good in my marriage. My granddad just died. I've got all kinds of problems. Listen, 
The coming of Christ, the cross, purchased the penalty of your sin. It freed you from the bondage and the penalty of your sin. It didn't take out the presence of sin. So you will still experience the hurtful carnage that sin brings in this world because we are living in a fallen world. We won't ever taste that freedom until the return of Christ, which is the second aspect of Advent. O come, O come, Emmanuel, also serves as our longing expectancy for the return of Jesus Christ. See, he's already accomplished half of what he came to do. The first half was to atone for the sins of man, to pay the debt on the cross, to secure salvation for everyone who believed in him. That was his first goal, right? It's half of it. The second is full redemption when he comes back as a warrior king on a white horse, yielding sword, tattoo on his thigh. He's coming back to conquer and complete what he came to do. And we as believers, we don't fear that. Like if, if, if you are a believer in Christ, the return of Christ should not fear you. It should not shake you. Let me, let me repeat that. If you're a believer in Christ, the return of Christ should not shake you at your core. If it does, there's a problem somewhere. One potentially might be you don't know the Bible and the promises of God and how he secured your salvation. And the coming back of Christ is actually a glorious thing. You would sing, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, because you want him to come back. But if you fear that, if it leaves you shaking at your core that Christ is coming back, you need to go back to the gospel. because You may not have ever given your life to Christ because you still fear death. See, the Christian doesn't fear death. Christ on the cross put death in the grave. We don't have to fear it anymore. So we wait with this longing expectancy for the return of Christ. That we would be a people that could sing out, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Like longing for the return of Christ where he comes to free us from all of sin's tyranny on the earth right now. We want that. But until then, we persevere. We share the gospel. We make disciples. We tell as many people as we can how they can be freed from the penalty of their own sin. We're still on mission. But we wait with an eager expectancy of the return of Christ. Now if, uh, let, me, let me pray for us, and I'm going to frame up how we're going to close out a little bit differently today. Let me pray. Father, thank you for inserting us into the story. We want to we experience the sorrow, the hurt, the pain, the longing, the pleading of the people of old, our spiritual ancestors. We want to feel that. God, and we want to be reminded that through the birth of Christ, his life, his death on the cross, that we have great reason to celebrate this season. Keep us rooted in that. Help us to teach our kids to be rooted in that. That that would be championed above all things. Father, We want to celebrate you. Help us to be focused and not distracted people this season. We love you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.